I'm Vito Manone and you're listening to the sound of the Loons podcast. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm delighted to be joined here once again by the gaffer, head coach Adrian Heath. Thanks so much for taking the time to come in. How you doing this week? Anything big coming up for you? <laughs> no, I think it's, I'm like everybody. I think I'm a bit excited. Okay. Really, really <laughs> looking forward to what's going to be a very first, you know, playoff game, very first playoff game in Allianz. And the excitement that goes with it, I'm uh, I'm really looking forward to the game. I think it's going to be a, a really good game. It's, we know it's going to be difficult, but I also know it's a game I think we can win. And if we play anything like we can, I'm really confident we'll get through to the next round. Yeah. Well, have you have you felt it out there in Minnesota as you've been around? Have you have you seen people with the gear? Have people been coming up to I you think, or anything? I think the biggest thing for me is has been the the reaction and the the sort of turnaround and the people who've started to go the games. Sure. I, th- this year I've I've made it a mission of mine to try and get two people to a game who've never been each week. Oh, cool. And out of them people, I would think that 20 go every single week now. Yeah. And I, I always said this, that this, the stadium is going to be a huge catalyst for everything that we did. And I used to say, people know it's going to be good, but they don't know how good it's going to be. Sure. You know, and I, I've taken people who are 50 years of age who have never been to a soccer game in their life. Mm-hmm. And have now bought season tickets for already for next year. Yeah, because they've seen it's something different than what people have been used to. Yeah, and it's different than American sports. I'm yeah. not saying it's better. I'm not, but it's different. Sure, you know, it's it's the hour and a half. It's two hours. I'm in and out, and I'm on my way home, and not quite like American sports where you know, four or five hours later you can still be there. I went to the Twins game, the playoff game against yeah. the Yankees. And like I'd been there about four hours and we're in the bottom of the seventh. And I'm like, I don't know if I can I can wait. I don't know if I can go the next two innings, you know. And uh baseball yeah. is kind of an endurance test. I mean, sometimes it's it, it sometimes in the postseason that can be really fun in baseball. I, I grew up in Massachusetts, so I grew up a Red Sox fan. And yeah. their, their World Series win in two thousand four, where the, in the ALCS they were against the Yankees, and every game was like a fourteen inning game. Yeah. It was sort of a, you know, they end the night and it would be two in the morning. They say, well, we'll see you tomorrow. And yeah, I, yeah. But we'll see I, you in a couple of hours. I like the two hours, yeah. you know, for, for soccer. So, so that's, that's, it's been good. It's been good for them people, I think, because they, and they've seen a different sport. They've seen a different type of atmosphere. They've seen a different type of feel. Because yeah. it is a different feel in a football stadium. And it's, uh, no, it's, um, it's been a great year in, in the new stadium. And I knew it would be. But as I said to the players, you know, we've been gradually sort of trying to talk this game up gradually through the week. Mm-hmm. And here we are sort of halfway through the week and we've spoke about let's keep the crowd engaged. We need to keep the crowd in this game. And the only way we do that is by playing on the front foot, playing in the opposition's off, crosses in the box, efforts at goal, tackles, you know, and just play with a real enthusiasm and a drive and a and personality. And, and the fans around the world... Whichever sport you are, when they see that, they'll, they'll come along with you for the ride. And that's what we've got to do this weekend. Yeah, it's, I mean, as important as it is, you know, I think we, as you get into soccer, you focus on the grit, the heart, the belief. Uh, that stuff is great. But on its surface level, it's entertainment. 
right? I mean, it's well, like you, you need to play in a way that is it's engaging. It brings people in, right? I, I have a saying to the players, and I've, it's not mine. I'm not going to take credit for okay. it. Okay. Now, goals change games. That is yours, <laughs> yeah, right? That's yeah. one of mine, yeah. Um, no, that, well, that's another one. That one's, <laughs> that's been around forever, that one. But my, the sort of mentor for me and the guy who had the biggest influence on me was a guy called Howard Candle, you know, big name in England, mm-hmm. biggest manager in Everton's history. He used to have a saying to me, and he used to go, play for the team like the supporters think they would play if they had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, encapsulates everything. And that's what supporters want. They want you to play like they would if they had the chance. And I, I always say to players, you can't ever promise me a winning performance. You can't because there's right. an opposition. Sure. What you can promise me, you can promise yourself, your family, our supporters, is commitment, enthusiasm, desire, whatever adjectives you care to use, that is in your hands. Mm-hmm. That's not in mine. The only person who's stopping you is you from doing that. And we've had our moments this year where I've, you know, questioned that. But on the whole, this group of players is a really honest group and what you see is what you get. And, you know, as I said to the players, you know, that's all our supporters want this weekend is to see 11 guys trying their utmost to go and try and get as a result. Yeah. So this this week uh, and last week, I mean, the team has obviously been hard at work. There's guys mm-hmm. off on international duty, but this sort of feels like the longest Minnesota United have gone without a game yeah. in months. Are there, there's obviously pluses and minuses to getting this gap before the playoffs versus going right into it. Are there any particular challenges to sort of navigating this window where you're getting guys healthy, but you also want to keep the energy up and keep them focused? I think the most important thing is it's very easy to say, okay, we've got a two week gap. Let's train every day. And players get stale. Yeah. At this stage of the season, trust me, they've seen enough of me. I've seen enough of them. They've seen <laughs> enough of each other. We've lived out of each other's pockets since January. So, you know, last week was a perfect example of giving him a couple of days off it when we got back from Seattle. And we had two really big days. Worked really hard Thursday, Friday. Gave him the weekend off. Now we've got like a full seven days run up to the next game. We'll, we'll probably give him Thursday a day off. But, you know, we've trained really hard yesterday, today, and tomorrow. We'll give them Thursday off, and then Friday, Saturday will be tactics for the game on Sunday. You know, so it's 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 trying to keep optimum fitness, keeping them sharp, keeping them mentally fresh. And they are the challenges of when you bring them in, how much the workload is. And that's where it comes down to a staff, you know, the sports mm-hmm. science department, you know, this is a day to really work them hard if we're going to do it this week. Right. Then tomorrow might be a day to rest, take it take it down a level. And it's, you know, but the most important thing is I think I've been doing this for a, for a long na- time now. And a lot of experience comes in in terms of looking at the group, mm-hmm. how do the group feel. And um, But we've had a real, good, uh, a real good vibe around the group. You know, we've got a big day tomorrow. We've got a, a heavy load, workload tomorrow. And then, um, as I say, Thursday will be a rest day and then it'll be a couple of tactics days and the build-up. How how big has that the introduction of of the ability to measure load for guys and and sort of seeing you know s- some amount of data coming back on how hard guys are working? How much is that? I mean, that's obviously been in the last few years, I'm yeah. sure. So well, it, it's 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 strange that if I if I got I get the data every day, and I could probably get the data through my own eye mm. through experience. Sure, I could probably tell within eighty percent. Mm-hmm. Of, I could probably give you the numbers. Yeah, who's worked harder than who's worked harder than some others? Sure, who's worked harder than he normally does? Because that's what you're gauging at times. You're not comparing um, Michael Boxall with Kevin Molino. Yeah, 
you compare Michael Boxall with Michael Boxall over a nine-month period, right. or his numbers down, or his intensity level, his high-level running down, and that's what you use it for. And mm -hmm. you know, it becomes a useful tool for you to gauge what you think. Yeah, it, all it does it's confirmation of what you've been thinking. Right, and um, you need both. You need a balance. Well, you do. It's going to have a balance, right? You have a, your own intuition. It's a balance. Um, sure. I, I I worry that we're going too far with sports science. Sure, and. Players are starting to use it as a little bit of a crutch at times. And mm -hmm. what are my numbers? And, oh, I've worked really, really hard today. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll decide whether you've worked really, really hard, not your numbers. Yeah. And that's that's what it can become. And, um, you know, so it's, it is a balancing act. And I think it's something that we, we want to use and something that is a, a valuable tool. But we can't get too reliant and too complacent with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to I used to teach. And, uh, you know, for as far as assessments, um you know, there's sort of two ways to assess people. There's there's formative and there's summative yeah. in teaching. And so formative is as you're going through, like I was an English teacher, so yeah. I was teaching papers and you would get drafts back and you're giving comments back. And from those comments, they're sort of building the paper. And then at the end, they get a grade and that's the summative assessment. Yeah. But that's sort of the end of, of, of learning at that point. You give them a number and then that's all yeah. a student looks at and then they've moved on to the next thing. You don't really get a lot out of that that last number. That's sort of, you know, overall you're judging them as, mm -hmm. as a teacher. But I think that there's sometimes that danger with if you're just focused on numbers yep. rather than the process of everyday working. And also, I'm sure, in teaching, it's about personality of a kid yeah. as well. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's it's. I, I've worked with people who are more talented than others, and yet the guy who's not as talented has a better career sure. because he has different tangibles to his to what he is. Yeah. His personality, his mental strength and all that. And I think, like anything, whether you want to equate this with teaching, there's there's a common sense somewhere the thread within this and also i i'm a big believer in you know what you get out you put what you'll, you'll get out what you put in mm -hmm. and sometimes people work harder than others to get sure them. sure so um in terms of prepping for uh a winner go home playoff game do you strive to sort of keep things similar to how they've been during the regular season sort of the the rhythm or the pattern of of training um like how much does that that environment affects, do you want it consistent or is there something that changes when you go Well, we've had more time, which is, which is valuable, you know, so you've got more time to do video with the players. You've got sure. more time to give them more information and you're not cramming it all in within two days. Like we, we seemed as though we had like five weeks of Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday or yeah. Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday. They are tough. They are the tough weeks because you're trying to, pe you're trying to prepare for a game that's two games away. Right, <laughs> and, it, and it, you know, and, and at the end of the day, players get tired, physically as well as mentally. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's been good. We've had a good uh, opportunity. We've given days off. They've come in. They've worked hard. They've enjoyed the work. And I, I, as I said to you, the most important thing for me is I, I can sense within the group because when you're with them every day, you know, for ten months of the year, you you sense when this the group's on an upward curve or it's coming down or. You know, the, the group needs a rest or they need to get away from each other. But there's a good vibe about the group at the moment. Yeah. Sort of sort of along those lines, I know, you know, at various times over the last three years, we've we've talked about the idea of the team's belief in itself. I yeah. think that's come up virtually every season. And, yeah. And that team meeting that belief in itself. It sort of feels like at long last you've you have that team that has a belief in itself based on sort of I think to me the sort of the responses you've seen the team has sort of been knocked down I talked to a couple of players yeah. about this in Seattle but you know coming back against Montreal and yeah. coming back yeah. against Houston on the road uh bouncing back from that open cup final defeat yeah. with that game against LAFC for you 
Was there a moment in the season that you sort of, the first time you saw that, you felt like they had turned the page to like, this team believes in itself? Well, we had a really good off season. And um, ultimately, my old coach, Howard Kendall, we go back to him again. My, my old mentor said to me once, if you want to be a really good coach, get really good players. <laughs> and, hey, he's got a lot of nuggets of wisdom yeah, yeah well, that, that, that sounds very simple in it's yeah. and, and it's you know the statement itself but you know we can help as coaches we can you know we can form a, a team spirit we can form a, a really stru- good good structure for them to work around mm-hmm. but ultimately it's about the people who run on the field and we've got better players than we've ever had at any stage we've incrementally got better every transfer window in preseason, after two weeks of preseason, I turned to my staff and said, this is by far and away not only the most talented group of players we've got, it's got more personality and it has more belief and we have more winners within the group than we've ever had. Now you put all that together, now you're starting to have an opportunity. I think the first two away games when we went undefeated, you know, we went to Vancouver right. and went to San Jose, was a huge boost to everybody because we've been killed for our away form for two years. Sure. So to start the season on the road, and by the way, I, I don't do social media, but even I read some of the stuff where, my God, we five of the first six on the road, we'll be bottom of the league. And right. that was generally the pessimism of what was going around. And I just thought that the two opening day victory, the two victories on the opening of the season, everybody went, well, maybe it is going to be different. Yeah. Because me telling the players that this is different, me telling the supporters that this is going to be different, when you actually see it for yourself and then mm-hmm. the players feel part of it and then we go to Vancouver and then we go to San Jose. And if you look at their record since then, they've had a lot of good results. So they, mm-hmm. were, they were big results for us. Yeah. And I knew that. And that was as much mentally for the players as another hurdle that we can go on the road and win. Right. We can have 15, 20 minutes on the road where you bunker in outside your own penalty area because that's what you have to do mm-hmm. and get a result. Yeah. And that's and, and that for me was the turning point that the self-belief started to come from there. You know, we've not been below the red line all season. Mm-hmm. And that speaks volumes for the group. Yeah, it's interesting. A lot, a couple of the guys. So I talked to Ethan and, um, and Boxy and Vito were the three guys I talked to in Seattle. And I think to a man, they all brought up that that first road trip um, as sort of a, a bellwether for the yeah. season of, of, you know, and and uh, some of them talked about, I think Ethan talked about the way that, you know, as, a, as somebody who's been on a bunch of MLS yeah. teams that, you know, there's going to be the, that, that, that swoon that happens. Yeah. And, and, and it's, the team went through that as well, but sort of holding on to those early results. I mean, coming off of those first five row games with essentially one fewer road wins as the team had in the first two years combined, yes. really, I mean, it seems like the, the guys really felt like that set a tone to, to allow them to get through that sort of, you know, the opening of Allianz Field, which was so yeah, exciting. Yeah. But also, I mean, it sort of throws you for a loop, right? I mean, you're, you've talked and about I, this, that it wasn't even, didn't feel like a home game quite yeah. yet when you first started. And I think the other thing was, it, it, I, can, I can try and give the guys as much confidence as I can. I think I'm pretty good at talking to players and trying to get performances out of them. I think I can motivate people. But the one thing that's more powerful than any words I can say is the actual game and them coming through it and seeing it for themselves right. and knowing that this this group's different. And that's the big thing, that you are prepared to run, but not only are you prepared to run, you see another group of nine, ten players on that group who are prepared to put the same in and not accept defeat and not accept just falling apart when you go 1-0 down, 2-0 right. down. Rolling your sleeves up and going, no, 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 that, that, team's, that was the old team. It's not this team. This team now, we roll the sleeves up, we get a collective, 
we know that the next goal, we're back in this game. And this group proved that. And I think that was, you know, from a very early, very early on in the season, you know, I, I was under the impression that if we can keep incrementally adding, which we're trying to do now, then we have the core basis of a, of a really good group. Yeah. You, so about that, if you want to be a good coach, get good players. Mm-hmm. How, to what extent has getting guys like, like Ike Parra and Ozzy Alonso just made your job so much easier to have those guys on the team? Well, we've got better players, better personalities, um, used to winning, um, old people accountable. And trust me, when you're a player, there's nothing quite like one of your peers calling you out in front of the group mm-hmm. and saying, that's not good enough. And that's when you start to develop a proper football team is when the players hold each other accountable. And the good players can do it when they're not playing particularly well. It's dead easy sure. to start giving stick out when you are at the top of your game and everything's rosy for you. The tough one is that when you're not playing well, you go, you know the coach doesn't want that. That is not acceptable. You are not playing well enough. But forget the playing well enough. You're not trying hard enough. And this group has called each other out on numerous occasions this year. And that's why we have a chance. And that's why our results have been better than they have in the past. Um, as far as the, the veterans, um, you know, to sort of continue with that thought of, you know, having these leaders and, and holding each other accountable and things like that. Another thing that came up with some of the players that I thought was interesting was talking about some of the, some of the younger guys. I talked to some mm. of the, the veterans, but, um, you know, I was talking to, I think it was Boxy in Seattle, and he alluded to the idea that um, the young players, you know, Chase Gasper, Sasani Dotson, Mason Toy, I'm thinking of specifically, uh-huh. uh, have sort of been an essential component to the season because he was saying when the team is just veterans, and I think you alluded, you talked about getting stale. And he said yeah. when the team is just veterans, there can be that danger of getting stale if everybody's kind mm-hmm. of comfortable. But that, you know, it, it sort of reminded me of, of uh, you talking about competition for spaces and yeah. for, for slots. And so that in those situations where those guys were called upon and they stepped up, they made, they, you know, that made a tough job for you, which you would welcome to have, I think, which is to make those tough decisions. Well, so I want to use, we'll use Mason Toy. Angelo was on, not in a particularly good form mm-hmm. at the time. So you bring Mason in and he gets, what was it, six, seven goals in eight games? Yeah. You aren't, you aren't daft as a football player. You, you're watching somebody in your spot going, oh, my God, I might not get this back. Right. If this kid carries on like this, I might not get my, my spot back. Yeah. Trust me, that's the best tool any coach can have. That keeps every player on their toes. And I think we now have a genuine competition in nearly every spot on the team. There's a couple of places where I would like to, in the, in the off-season, I'd like to add one or two more bodies in certain positions. But the good thing moving forward is, I think that everybody's seen that Sonny Dotson can play in this team, mm-hmm. whether it be at fullback, whether it be in centre midfield. Mason Toy is getting better. He's going to score goals in the MLS. Jace Gaspar's come in from nowhere and cemented the left-back position on his own. Yeah. These are three huge boosts for us that we didn't think before the season we had. Coupled with that, Kevin Molino comes back from his injury. Uh, Ethan Finley's come back from his injury. We've added Thomas Chacon. Mm-hmm. Now, Robin Lode. You know, we've got maybe seven players for, three, for two positions in, in the wide areas. So competition's going to get better. We know that as we move on, because that's the nature of the game, some will have to go and some will come in because that's unfortunate. That's the nature of football. Right. You, you know, if we try, if we stand still, we're going behind. We're not going forward. We're going backwards because everybody else in this division, trust me, I guarantee you, you think the LAFC are not going to buy in the summer? Right. You think the Galaxy are going to sit idly by? 
You think Seattle are? Do you think Portland are? There's four teams. Yeah. Only, it's only seven playoff spots. Right. You know, we have to keep moving this forward. And along the way, one or two people will fall by the wayside because that's the way it has to be. Sure. And, you know, it's up to us to make sure that we make the right decisions and bring the right pieces in. So in terms of bringing the, those right pieces in, that, that idea of looking towards the future, obviously signing Thomas Chacon was, you know, at 18 is a move. Yeah. He's, he's played, he's gotten some minutes, yeah. but it's a move toward the future. Yeah. I'd like to hear some more from you just, you know, sort of about where he is right now. What are you seeing from him in training, how he's adjusting? Obviously, it's been, when I was on the trip to Seattle, you know, it's, it's charming to see him with some of the guys like Miguel and, yeah. and Darwin and sort of, you know, some of the other Spanish-speaking players and sort of, you know, getting the lay of the land from them and getting well, they, the team. The one thing I will say is that the, the Hispanic players that we have have, have have welcomed Thomas in incredibly well. You know, it, it's strange because when you look at, like, if Miggy, it's like a direct competition, really, for his sure. place. But he's taking him under his wing, and, he, you know, I think Thomas started to drive this week. Miggy's been his chauffeur since he's been here, right. you know, everywhere he's been. Thomas is in the front seat, and Miggy's got <laughs> the only thing missing is the cap. He's been driving him around everywhere, you know. So they've welcomed him with open arms. No, hey, I, it's been frustrating for Thomas, I know. But I didn't want to burden the kid with too much expectation too early. We have got people for this position. He's the future of this football club, trust me. Mm -hmm. And we've seen enough of that in training. He's still in the group. And the way that football is, I know... A, it's an English expression, but football's a funny old game. The way it turns around at times, and he could be called upon this weekend. We don't know. Sure. It could be the game after. if either, And that's the way football is. But, no, he's, he's been terrific. We like him. He's a really good kid. He's a um, good professional, trained hard. He's settled in really, really well with the rest of the group. And, um, yeah, we're, we're excited about him moving forward. Yeah, I'm... I'll look out for him on the road. I hope his yeah, I hope his driving's okay. Yeah, he's passed his test apparently. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Although seeing him come in the car park this morning, I'm not so sure. He doesn't look like he should be old enough to drive. He's probably got a cushion on his seat to look so he can see over the steering wheel. <laughs> um, so, so this is a little bit of a reflective question, but it was one of the first things I wanted to, to ask you about. Um, to sort of go back to the start of everything with Minnesota United here in MLS. You know, there was sort of that talk about about the three year plan. Mm -hmm. Uh, sort of when times were tough, uh, sort of in a semi-mocking way, I think. And then now there's been <clears throat> talk about the three-year plan. It's sort of coming to fruition. Here we are in year three. Well, it, it was it was the three-year plan I mentioned on the day that I started mm -hmm. for the simple reason is I'd went through it in Orlando. And that was where it started from. The three-year plan was me coming out with it and saying, trust me, if people think this is going to be a quick fix, right? it's not. Now, I get, I'm not stupid that people go, oh, you would say that being the coach, you want three years. And I, <laughs> and I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But trust me, having been through it, people don't realize the first year in Orlando, we got 12 wins. Orlando haven't got 12 wins since. Right. <laughs> yeah. And now they're going on to their fifth manager. So if they'd have stuck with that three-year plan, mm -hmm. trust me, even if I'd have left then, they would have been in far better shape than they've been in the last three and four years where the results are going backwards, not going forwards. Right. And that's what happens when you continually change your coach, continually change the personnel because each coach wants his own players. Right. And I get that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not saying that what I've said is a genius move, but you look at the teams that haven't done it. Mm-hmm. I think of Toronto. Yeah. It took them eight years right. to make the playoffs. Five managers in. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work. Right. I'm only trying to be upfront and tell the truth of 
and I'm, it's dead easy for me to now sit here and go, I told you so. <laughs> but but <laughs> right, right. we had more chance of getting yeah. it right this way than the other way. Yeah. Patience is obviously but, but key, I, I, but right? I, and so. I'm, I'm I'm fully aware that the one thing that I don't get in football and in sport general is time and patience from people upstairs. Sure. And invariably now with social media, it's not the people upstairs. It's the people in the stadium. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who force the hand of the people upstairs. Right. I, you know, I'm from Europe. <laughs> you lose four games and you can lose your job. Right, yeah. Sign a three-year deal on the Monday. Three Mondays later, you can yeah. be out of a job. Yeah. And that's not because the people upstairs had no faith in you. It's because of what's going on in the stadium and in and around them. Yeah. So, I, you know, I can sit here being very smug and say, well, I told you and look where we are. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, the evidence is there for everybody to look at. Yeah. You look at the ones that had stability and look at the club. Look at any team in the world. Show me a team that's had stability and invariably their results are better than the team that every six months, every 18 months wants to change the coach. Right. Doesn't work. Yeah. So in terms of looking at that, where you are now, um, where you've gotten to over those, those three years, how much does, does where the team is right now align with what you were looking for at the start? Like is, cause obviously anybody, I think, I think any plan in life, some of it is clarity and then some of it is flexibility, right? You have to adjust as things change. So um, I have to be careful. I would, I would word this one. Okay. Um, no, we, we knew when, when I arrived here, I think my first day at work was the first of December. You know, I think we had two players signed. Mm-hmm. No, we've got to get a full roster together for preseason in like six weeks. Right. You know, <laughs> that, that you are going to make mistakes. Yeah. And we did. And we've been, you know, we have, we've never tried to hide that. Right. We made a lot of mistakes. So, to be where we are before the end of the third season, I think speaks volumes for the work everybody's put in. Not just players, front office staff, everybody. Because we certainly started from a, a disadvantage from where we were. So to be where we are now, you know, I think a lo- an awful lot of people can take a lot of credit. The most important thing, though, Steve, is now that we don't go, oh, that's great. We have to keep going now. Right. And as I said, you know, we've got some really big, important decisions coming up with a lot of big, important players over the next two or three months. You know, we have to make sure that we make the right choices. But if we are going to continue to move this forward and to keep competing in a league that's going that way, it's going upwards, it's not going down. Right. This league, I can't... uh, Maybe Vancouver may be the only one who's disappointed a bit this year. San Jose have got more points than they have in the last two seasons. Right. You know, Portland mitigating circumstances, 16 games on the road to start with. Seattle are where they expected them to be. LAFC spending fortunes. The Galaxy aren't going to sit idly by watching LAFC take (laughs) the limelight in that city. (laughs) So you can go through, you know, and, you know, to think Vancouver are not going to go, what are we going to do about this? So this league's going to be tougher next year. And if we want to keep be competitive and stay above that red line and make sure that we're in there all the time, we have to improve with it as well. Yes. And that's the, the thing. It's not standing still now. Right. Not resting on our laurels and going, hey, nobody thought we were going to make the playoffs. I did. But that's not enough now. Yes. I expect us to win this week. And then I expect us to try and go and win in, in LAFC. And if we don't, then we know what we do. We come back to the drawing board and go, right, what are we going to do now in the next two or three months to make this team even better next year? Yeah. You can't stand still. 
Well, no, if, if you do, you're going backwards. Yeah, yeah. Because everybody else is going forward. Trust yeah, me. yeah. So let's close off and just talk a little about the, the playoffs coming up, about to start. Um, focusing on this week before you have to make all those other you got hard decisions ahead. But right now you got the playoffs. What? Um, just the playoffs in general. What's your personal feeling about the change to the playoff format? I mean, it's obviously a thing that people talked a lot about before the season, and then it sort of gets swept away, and now it's coming back to the fore. This you know winner take all format. I think I, it's difficult because I know that playoffs are part and parcel of American sport. So I don't want to be the guy who goes, oh, you shouldn't have them because I have a guess where I'm living in America and they're the rules and that's what they have. So right. I get that. Um, I wonder whether seven's too many. I think that every team who makes the playoffs should at least have a home game. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think that your fans okay. deserve that. Sure. So it may be... One team less, but you have an home and away. I don't know. Um, I think that's important. You know, you could conceivably have two games in the playoffs and be away from home, both games, and it costs the club money. Yeah. Upwards of millions of right. dollars. Yeah. Because of the flight and taking. Yeah. Yeah. But at least the home game gives your own supporters and gives you an opportunity. I think that's something that has to be looked at. I personally like the playoffs. I've seen the introduction and in certainly in the championship. Yeah. The playoffs to get to the Premier League. Yep, they are the most exciting games in the year in England. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. So I'm, and I'm, I can't tell you how excited and how much I'm looking forward to this game on Sunday yeah. against the Galaxy, because it's good that it's the Galaxy as well. It's our first home game in the playoffs, and it's probably the most storied franchise in MLS history. Yeah, as we as we know it now. So, and probably one of the most iconic players mm-hmm. playing in the game as well in Zlatan. So it's. It's got a lot going for it this weekend, and I'm really excited about it. I think we can win. And then if we win, we know where we're going. We're going to LAFC. We're going to support a shield, a team that's got all the records. So let's go there and try and do it again like we did earlier on in the year. Yeah. So everybody talks about Zlatan. Including Zlatan. Yeah. Um, Nobody more than Zlatan. Actually. <laughs> yeah. I was I was curious about uh, your take as a forward, as a as a as a former attacking player. Yeah. Just looking at him, sort of as a craftsman, yeah. uh, in terms of his job. Yeah. You know what do you what do you see when you look at him like that? Well, he's got extreme confidence in himself, which is what you need as a forward. Because trust me, even him scoring five hundred goals, he'll have had periods in his career where you start to doubt yourself a little bit because you've maybe gone eight, nine games without scoring a goal and mm-hmm. the pressure that comes with that being there's a Latin, if you like, you know, because you set yourself up and people are waiting. People like for him, people are waiting just for him to fall a little bit off his perch to go, here we go. Yeah. This is maybe the only chance we've got to really stick in it to him. But if you look at him, got great feet. And when I say great feet, got great first touch, lovely soft feet, very rarely lose the ball, incredibly athletic, got great chest control got great vision, can score off both sides of both left foot, right foot, fantastic in the air, as you would expect for somebody who's 6'5 and as big as he is. Right. And you remember the goal he got in Toronto when he did like the karate kick with yeah. his leg <laughs> yeah. above his head? Yeah. People, people that size can't do that. Right. But this guy scores all types of goals. Yeah. Couple that with his, as I say, with his aggressiveness and his natural confidence in himself, he becomes a formidable opponent. I know that this weekend our back four is going to have to really, really be careful what they do with him when he's in the penalty area. But more importantly, there are certain parts of the penalty area where we have to get tight and not allow him any room and space to work with. Yeah. Well, I believe the last time that a Minnesota team faced the LA Galaxy in a winner-go-home situation in Minnesota, it was in 2004. 
and the Thunder beat the Galaxy 1-0 in the fourth round of the U.S. Open Cup. So there you go. History is on your side. Let's right? let's let's hope that's a good omen for yeah. us this weekend. Yeah, right. Uh, well, Adrian, thank you so much. Pleasure, anytime. Yeah, and thanks to everybody listening for joining us for the 78th Sound of the Loons podcast. Minnesota United's next game is its first ever playoff game on Sunday, October 20th against the LA Galaxy at 7.30 p.m. at Allianz Field. That's on ESPN and ESPN Deportes. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC and me at Steve Entris. And you're not on social media. So. I don't. I have enough stick without yeah, listening to people having to go at me on social media, Steve. Yeah, just stay off it. Yeah, That's yeah. better that way. Apologies as always to Richard Wagner and remember there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>